Last week I asked you a question, didn't I? I said, is God a Democrat or is he a Republican? I want to address that a little bit this morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 5, and then we're going to go over to 1 Samuel. So keep your Bible open. Really nothing I have to say is, is of any importance unless it comes from the Word of God. Really the question is not, is God a Democrat or Republican so much as it is this, because this is right before us. How should I vote as a believer? Well, God has not been silent when it comes to matters pertaining to government as some would try to make us think. He has had much to say throughout the history of his dealing with mankind. In Genesis chapter 9, we have the uh, historical account where they began to try to establish government on their own. Man tried to be, get, become his own government. Man tried to, to build his, his temple up to the skies and, and be in the heavens as God and to be his own sole authority. We get the name Nimrod from that. He doesn't want us to be a bunch of Nimrods. First and second kings are historical accounts in the Old Testament that serve to remind us just how involved God is and has been in the affairs of man and government. Throughout Scripture we can read how God has laid His hand and had His hand upon world government, even local politics on local levels, sometimes calling His people to intervention so that His purpose for the land would prevail. So God has been quite involved. An example of that might be, as we talked about last Sunday night, Joseph in Egypt. God established Joseph, although he was put in the place where he was at the hand of his evil brothers who tried to get rid of him, really wanted to kill him, but sold him to some Midianite merchants. And then God took that and he turned it for his good and his glory and he put him in a high place with the Pharaoh and used him to secure a remnant of God's people for the future. When everyone else was going to be dying from famine, God took care of his people through Joseph. So God had his hands involved in the government and the affairs of people even at that time. Nehemiah is a good example. It was because of Nehemiah's position, being the top servant to King Artaxerxes I in Persia, that he was able to speak to the king about the people of Israel and their need to rebuild the temple after returning from their time in Babylon. And so not only did he allow Nehemiah to go and lead in that work effort, the king of Persia said, we'll fund the effort. So don't tell me God is not involved in the affairs of government. Well, Isaiah chapter 9 tells us about Jesus and the government shall be upon his shoulders. The book of Revelation, the last book in our New Testament, speaks of the role that specific nations will play on the stage of the end times. From the beginning of God's dealings with man all the way to the end, God is not silent concerning matters related to government. And I want you to get that this morning. And I want you to not be fickle. I want you to not think that God does not direct and God does not guide and that you cannot hear from Him concerning how you're to vote and concerning the important matters facing our country even at this moment. We as believers should not think as well that there is no place in the church for discussion about government as some would have us to think. We shouldn't think the principles of God that have been laid out in His Word cease at the doorsteps of the church and are not allowed to come inside the church. That the things of God, the principles laid out in God's Word somehow cease to remain relevant once we leave the church house. We should not think that way, but often we do. 
We shouldn't think that when we enter the voting booth, it's all about me and mine. And it's all about ours. And it's all about what I want. Instead, we should think when we go in the voting booth, it's about what does God want first and foremost. And listen, when we vote according to godly principles, we may lose some things that are precious to us because we're saying God's will matters the most, not my will. Not my will be done. Yours, Jesus told the Father, and He is our example of being obedient to God. Amen? So I'm not here to tell you specifically how to vote. I'm here to exhort you to build a biblical foundation on which you will base your decisions when you do vote. The week prior to the last presidential election when Obama was running for re-election, I received a letter at my office to the church there at Oak Grove where I was pastoring informing me about something new that was called a Political Activity Compliance Initiative. Let me repeat that. Political Activity Compliance Initiative. And the letter read, just briefly, a political activity compliance initiative has been created to educate houses of worship about the law and to deal with reports about violations. And that was about the law concerning politics and church life, politics and the pulpit. You see, it was a scare tactic that was mailed and delivered to pastors of churches that are more conservative And they receive these, they open it up and say, oh, and they read it, they say, oh, they're watching me. I've got watchdog on me now. I've got big brother looking at me now. I better be careful what I say. But I'm going to tell you, still in this land, we have liberty to speak to government issues. I don't care who sends out the letter and says we ought to comply. We're to speak for God. Amen? What if all the prophets of the Old Testament were silent about what God wanted? What if Daniel was silent about what God wanted? when he was there with Nebuchadnezzar? What if our forefathers, our founding fathers who founded our Constitution were silent about what God wanted? We wouldn't have the Constitution we have today. So it's vitally important. Now I'm going a bunch of directions. I need to get back to where where I'm headed this morning, all right? Y'all bear with me. Preachers do that, don't we? We chase rabbits. We go deer hunting and go squirrel, don't we? I mean, we do that. Many of our nation's founding fathers based their decisions on a biblical foundation, believing that we were all endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. The Creator to which they were referring wasn't just any God. The Creator to which they were referring was specifically Yahweh, Almighty God, the God of the Bible. Our Pledge of Allegiance states that we are one nation under God, not just any God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of the Scriptures. The principles of the Bible served as the foundation for our Constitution and Bill of Rights. The World Encyclopedia states concerning the Bill of Rights, and these rights by the Founding Fathers were derived from the Bible. On the wall directly behind the Supreme Court justices are the Ten Commandments. Our Constitution and Bill of Rights were founded on God's moral law and the purpose for our government was founded on God's moral law. Repeatedly, throughout our historical documents, we find matters of faith in God included, not excluded. It was during Thanksgiving break about eight years ago that Crystal and I took the college minister and his wife and about seven or eight college students in our college ministry department And we went to Acuna, Mexico to scout out a mission trip that would 
we hoped would take place in, during spring break. So we had to go during Thanksgiving break. We met with the translators. They met us there at the border and, and traveled around with us and showed us places, introduced us to pastors and where works were taking place to see if God might give us a vision and heart for what we could accomplish during spring break the next spring. As they were driving us around and doing that and showing us around, we passed by an elementary school. I won't forget this. Out on this cement courtyard, you've got all the school kids all around. And out in the middle, you have all these children, probably third, fourth graders, fifth graders, all dressed up and in these nice colorful outfits and, and stuff. And, and, and they're having a play. Not thinking, being that it was Thanksgiving holiday, I said, oh, they're having a Thanksgiving play. And the translator said, Mexico does not celebrate Thanksgiving. That's an American holiday. That's not a Mexican holiday. This is our week to celebrate Mexico's independence. That This is a, a play about Mexico's independence. Thus would explain, instead of seeing Indians and pilgrims, the sombrero and the pistols on each hip, right? You know, so, but I didn't catch that at the beginning. And all of us said, oh, that's right. And that's when it dawned on all of us in that van that we were in a place we did, we did not recognize. We were in a, a place that was far different than the place we knew. And today as I look around our nation, I feel like I'm in a place I no longer recognize. When I look at our country and the things that are taking place, I feel that uh, it's a country far different from the place that I once knew. And I know that if I feel like that as a 52-year-old, some of you older folks definitely feel that way. We have been down a slippery slope for a long time in this nation. If you read the newspapers and the links on your Yahoo homepage and watch various news programs, or simply just look around, you can see the disintegration of godly values taking place right before our eyes. We have become a nation where God is no longer included, but excluded. And who is to blame? Are we to blame the Democrats? Or are we to blame the Republicans? That's a good question, but more interesting, I said, is, is this. What about God? Which side is he on? Is he a Democrat or is God a Republican? Well, when you come to Joshua chapter 5, the Israelites have been in a big mess for about 40 years. They've been wandering around aimlessly. They have not been following God. They're out there. In fact, they're going through some judgment, some chastisement for not being faithful some 40 years previous. And they're now at the Jordan River. Moses is dead, Joshua is leading, and they're about to cross over the Jordan into the promised land where God had brought them through Moses 40 years prior and so and sent them away. They've been wandering in the wilderness. The generation has died. All you have are the, the younger ones. The younger generation are now able to enter the promised land, a land of great blessing, the Bible says, and Joshua is their leader. But first, they had to face the problem of their enemies in the city of Jericho, just across the Jordan River. So they had a task before them. Look with me in Joshua chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. The Bible tells us, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, now he's alone right now, when Joshua himself was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? 
So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Jericho was a mighty city. Its walls seemed to rise to the sky. Its men were known to be fierce in battle. Joshua draws near to this city. Most likely, and this is my thinking, you know, he and Caleb went to spy out the land before. I think most likely he is coming on his own to spy out the land. He is approaching the city by himself. We don't have any record of anyone else being around him. But suddenly, standing before him is a man with his sword drawn. And Joshua says, hey, hey, are you for us? Or are you for our enemies, our adversaries? Which side are you on? That's a great question, isn't it? In other words, are you voting for us? Or are you voting for them? Who are you going to align yourself with? And that's important because if Joshua is about to go up against the city of Jericho and all of a sudden discovers there's another army out there between his army and Jericho who is against them, he's got another battle on his hands. On the other hand, if he finds out that they're with him as God sometimes did and allowed alliances to form to help the people of God go into battle, then that's a good thing. He's going to be a little bit more at ease about approaching this city and and fighting this battle. Joshua needs to know whose side are you on? A literal reading I think is interesting of this because literally in, in the Hebrew it tells us the man answers the question like this. He says, whose side are you on? No. (laughs) That's what he says. In the Hebrew, it just says, no. No. Now, what kind of answer is that? No, I'm not on your side, or no, I'm not on their side. It really would translate, and it's kind of simple, but it just translates like this. Neither side. What? God would not be on the side of Israel. God would not be on the side of Jericho. But he's just saying, no, neither. I have a side. I have come as commander of the army of the Lord. You say, well, good, he's for Israel then. He's with the army of the Lord and Israel's army of the Lord. No, that's not what is said here. In fact, Israel is not described as the army of the Lord. The army of the Lord is always used to describe a heavenly army. This is a commander of a heavenly army. We say, well, who could comprise a heavenly army? Angels. This is a commander of God's army of angels. And so, in other words, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm commander of a higher army than what we have on this earth altogether. I'm commander of the army of the Lord. So we ask that question, is God a Democrat or is God a Republican? Well, God's neither. He's much higher than that. And that's hard for us to imagine. That's hard for us to fathom, I believe. The Bible says He gives His allegiance to no man. The Bible says He shares His glory with no one else. His purpose is for the nations to know His great salvation and to worship Him. That's His game plan. This is football season. So let's use the game of football as an illustration, okay? How many teams are on the football field in a football game? 
you say two. No, there are three. Let me explain. There is a home team, and there is a visiting team, and there is another team we call a team of officials. There are three teams on the field. The home team, the visiting team, and the umpires, the officials. The home team and the visiting team are against each other. And they have their strategies that they've been working on all week long. They have their own plan, their own strategy to try and defeat the other team. But in the middle of the field is a team of judges. I know you thought they were three blind mice. But they're, they're a team of judges who are not committed to either team. Instead, their loyalty rests with a much higher entity, a much higher authority. If you're talking pro football, you're talking about their authority is with the NFL. If you're talking about high school in Texas, their authority comes from the the Universal Interscholastic League in the area of athletics. So their purpose is to make decisions based on the rules and regulations of that higher authority, regardless of how they might feel about the local teams and regardless of what the other two teams may want. And God has not called us to choose sides with teams like we do on a playing field. He's called us to get on His team. He's called us to represent Him. He's not Democrat. He's not Republican. Now listen, don't throw anything at me, but I'm going to tell you, God is not even an American. God's not an American. Now some of you might say, we need to get that guy out of here. Brother Jesse, you deacons... Y'all don't ask this guy to come back. Because we have an Americanized view that God's just for us and the rest of the world can go to hell. That's the view that we've grown up with here in America. We cannot Americanize God. He is His own authority. He is His sole authority and He wants to have sole authority over us. He wants us to turn to Him. He wants to officiate. We can choose sides all we want. But when there are questions and there's a call to be made, guess who gets to make the call? God makes the call. We need to stop trying to bring God into our way of thinking and try to and, and stop trying to get him to join forces with us. We must join his army. That means before we vote, we need to ask God, God, what do you say about the matter? What do you say about the, the issues facing our nation right now? God, what do you have to say about these platforms that the Democrats have and the platform of the the Republicans? You see, God didn't come to choose sides with anybody. God came to take over. The Bible says He comes with vengeance and a sword to judge the nations. And when He does, donkeys and elephants won't matter. The only thing that will matter is this. Did you choose the right army? Now, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let's talk about this some more. Have you chosen the right army? When you go to vote, who are you voting for? Are you voting for yourself? Are you voting for your cohorts at work? Cohorts at work? Who are you voting for? We turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and find verse 1. And what I want to talk about right now is this. What happens when government replaces God? What happens when people replace God with government? Maybe that's a better way to say that. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. 
took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they said to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice, however you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel is a judge. Samuel is a leader. That's what that word judge means. God had set him apart to be a leader. His sons also served as judges, but because they were corrupt, the people didn't want the sons, and rightly so. A king, like everyone else around them had, is what they wanted. Not one to lead them in the ways of the Lord, but one who would overrule God. That's really what they wanted. So they said, they said, uh, so God says, well, they want a king. So that means they still want government. They just want a government that leaves me out of the discussion. So let me tell you what will happen when they give, uh, get a govern, a, a king and they begin to leave, leave me out of the discussion of the affairs of, of their government. And so skip to verse 11. He said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariot. In other words, out in front of the chariot. Some will be on the front lines. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he'll take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and and you will be his servants and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. God says, all right, you want to be like everybody else and you want to have a king that doesn't serve me? Then when you get what you want, you're not going to want what you get. Because government is going to expand. The draft will expand. Conflict will increase. Instead of the government serving you, you'll serve the government and the king's purposes. In other words, the government will own you. And then the government will make you pay for it. Now, I want you to see this. The amount they were supposed to give in worship to God, their tithe, is the amount they would now be required to give to the government. Did you see that in there? The tithe, the thing about the tithe was it was supposed to come from the best part. And here's what God is saying about an ungodly king. He is going to take the best part because he's going to put himself before me and he's going to say, I rightly deserve the best. I rightly deserve what God has set apart for himself. And worst of all, look again at verse 18. It tells us what happens when we choose to push God out and bring a worldly, earthly ruler in who does not serve God. He said, when that day comes, you will cry out to me because of your king, which you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. Oh, man. We're setting ourselves up as a nation 
for an unanswered cry in a day of trouble. God says, this is what a marriage should be between a man and a woman. America has said, give us a king who will leave God out of the picture. God says, I create life in the womb. I know a baby's body parts, her her members, his members, before they're even conceived. America said, give us a king who will leave God out of the picture. Let us choose for ourselves whether or not life in the womb is of worth and value. And whether or not life in the womb is to be granted that opportunity of living outside the womb. The current administration and Hillary Clinton speaks of abortion only in terms of a woman's right to choose and women's health care. It's not abortion. It's not about life. It's health care. God says concerning Israel, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. The White House says we acknowledge Israel's right to defend herself. The White House says no prayer in schools. But let's grant Muslims a special day of prayer at the White House. God says men everywhere ought to pray to Him. The White House says we don't want Christians praying in the White House. But let's throw a party and invite gays and homosexuals in for a time. Not conservative Christians. Now look at verse 19 and 20. Samuel answered Saul and said, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. The meeting's over. We'll get to it, basically. That's where we're going to go. I think America is giving the same reply the people gave Samuel when he told them what God said would happen if they rejected and demanded a king. We don't need God's law. Our king will judge over us. He'll determine matters of right or wrong, not God. We don't need God's presence in our country anymore. Our king, our king, we need a president to go out before us and let him fight our battles for us. And we don't need God in the picture. Well, if government, not God, has become the moral compass of the day, then you know that the people have replaced God with government. If government, not God, is the one we trust to win our battles for us, we know we have replaced God with government. I read an article uh, about hunter safety. Excuse me. It stated that hunters should reconsider being out in the woods hunting when it's windy because of an increased risk of being struck by a falling dead tree. Because of the extremely dry summers that we had a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, many of the trees that are standing now are actually dead. Some of them have been dead for two, three years. They may look all right on the outside, some of them, But because they've decayed on the inside and rotted on the inside, it's only a matter of time before they're going to fall. I think we understand that. If America falls and if America fails, we won't fall at the hands of our enemies on the outside. We'll fall due to the spiritual and moral decay of our nation on the inside. We are standing, but we're dying. If America falls, it's because we're already dead. The national debt's important. 
Foreign affairs is very important. Our affairs in the Middle East, our alliances are important. National defense is important. Education is so vitally important. Jobs and the economy are so important. All of it's important. And it's on these issues that political parties build their political platform. But God says, righteousness exalts a nation. And sin is a reproach to any people. The platform needs to be a platform of righteousness in America once again. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Christmas, this sounds so great. But it's never going to be that way again. It's not going to be a government for righteousness. And we can see that. What can we do? I wish I had all the answers for what we can do. But I know what God says. Righteousness exalts a nation. And that tells me as an individual I have a responsibility to build my personal political foundation and cast my personal vote that I have a responsibility to get on God's platform, not my own. God hasn't chosen a side. God is His own entity. God is His own person. God is sovereign Lord. And He calls for righteousness. I must vote as best as I can For righteousness. You say, well, no, you need to vote for freedom of religion. No, I need to vote for righteousness. Israel never had freedom of religion. Everybody was always against them. Their problem with Israel was they went and took on the gods of the the people, the false gods of the people around them. And America is seeking the false god of sexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, And they just keep adding to the initials. I don't know what it is. There's a Q in there now. L-G-B-T-Q. God can spell it. S-I-N. Now, Now I need to say something to our younger people. Probably the younger people are thinking right now, these older folks just don't get it. The world has changed. We're supposed to be more tolerant. Everybody has a right to be what they want to be. And we should support them in that right and in that choice. That's what we're being told in our schools, some of them. That's what we're being told from the government. That's what we're being told when we say we don't want a Ben Carson coming and praying anymore at a prayer breakfast, but we want Muslims to come pray. That's what we're being told when we say, well, we know this is the law, but times have changed and we're not going to do that anymore. We don't want people arrested for that. Did you know adultery is against the law in the state of Texas? But times have changed. See? Did you know not paying your taxes is against the law? They used to arrest people for that. A lot of things people just let slide by because it's now according to personal opinion of the leader. So I understand if you're a young person, you may be feeling that Brother Crispin up there, he's just being intolerant. But I'm coming from Scripture. I'm not saying be unfriendly. I'm saying don't approve. I'm not saying be belligerent. I'm not saying be mean. I'm saying tell them about Jesus. Only Jesus can change a heart. Only Jesus can change a life. God says righteousness exalts a nation. Did you know God exalts people because of righteousness? And when I look at our candidates, I don't see righteousness. Instead, I see people who own a lot of wealth. The Bible says it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? They're focused on themselves. They're focused on keeping what belongs to me, what is mine. They're focused on money. 
Lest God come and humble either of these individuals, America will continue on its slippery slope, I fear. And I found myself the other day saying, which one might really come to Christ and become a devoted follower of Christ? Well, that's a tricky game to play. Because I'm going to tell you, what I've found through the years is the person we think is least likely to turn to God is often the one who does. See, I don't want to go there. I want to say, which one has a platform? Listen, you don't get everything you ask for in the political process. You've got to shoot for the things that are most important. What is most important? Is it God? Is it that you have low taxes? Is it that you get certain write-offs? What is most important to God? Make His platform your platform. Build your foundation on how you vote according to what God says. He's not on your side. He's not in your army. We're on His side and we're to join His army. His army is clothed in righteousness and He's recruited us to come serve in it.